Well, hello, church. Welcome to our Good Friday service. I hope you are all well and staying quarantined. I'm glad that we can worship together and celebrate the life of our Lord uh, and his great sacrifice uh, on Good Friday as he gave his life for all of us so that we may have life eternal. Let's open our, our service with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for all the blessings in our lives. Father, and now I thank you for the life of your son, the great gift that he has given us, eternal life, and how he gave it on the cross, and how you turned everything in the Old Testament to fruition at that point in time, Lord. We thank you for the grace that you've given us and the blessings in our lives. And I ask you now, Lord, that this lesson be your lesson, this message be your message, as we put all of it in Jesus' precious name. And so there's probably uh, no more important point of history in the world than the two days of the crucifixion of Christ uh, and the resurrection of Christ on Easter morning. That's it. That's the worldview and the seminal point of view in which everything from the time of creation comes together uh, to change the history of man. And so it's important for us to understand what really happened at the cross. And that's really the message today. What happened at the cross. And so as, as Jesus is about to be crucified, uh, he stands before Pilate, the Roman governor in Judea, and he stands there uh, in trial, and it's been one of several trials, and now Pilate has determined that Jesus is innocent, uh, and he's trying to find a way that he can get out of having Jesus executed. And at the same time, his wife has had nightmares um, in which he has come to understand that this is an innocent man and Pilate cannot have blood on his hands and so she begs him to find a way that he cannot sentence Jesus to death. And so the, the uh, Jewish elites, the religious leaders, are, are forcing Pilate to come to a decision. And so even as they sense that Pilate would like to wiggle out from this, they say to him that you are no friend of Caesar if you don't execute this man. Can you imagine that? You are no friend of Caesar. Uh, and so what you see here is the irony that Pilate chooses Caesar over Jesus. Uh, and that's so much like humanity today, where so much of humanity chooses the world, chooses what we have around us, uh, materialism, wealth, uh, relationships over Jesus Christ. And so you see that even then. And so I want you to get this picture of now Jesus is now walking with the execution squad. That would be a centurion and three soldiers walking uh, to Golgotha. And he has the sidebar of the cross strapped to his back, tied to his back. And in front of him is a placard uh, identifying who he is. And the placard says, Jesus, the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Well, you can imagine that the Jewish religious leaders were infuriated when they saw that, even though that's in fact what they indicted Jesus for saying, that he was the king, that he was effectively the son of God. And so they came to Pilate and they said, change the placard, make it say, he said he was the king of the Jews. Uh, but Pilate refused. The irony that a, a, a pagan would understand that in fact, no, I'm not going to change that. That's in fact what it was and how true it was. Here is the king of the Jews that you have executed yourself. And so he's now going to the, to the scene where he'll be crucified. 
his clothes are being removed and stripped, and the soldiers are effectively dividing up his garments. And then he had one garment, which was a whole piece of cloth that could not, in fact, be divided, and that they basically uh, had uh, dice that they used to decide who, in fact, would take that piece of clothing. And so there is a, a poignant moment at the cross, which is one of several poignant moments which you need to understand about what really took place at the cross. And this is a poignant moment that all four Gospels contain. Uh, and so Jesus was accompanied in death that day by two thieves on either side of him. And so suddenly something happened miraculously on Golgotha between those two thieves and Jesus Christ. Uh, when, when they were put up on the cross, the three of them, there were people at the bottom of the cross who were taunting and blaspheming Jesus, cursing him and telling him to get off the cross if he was the king of the Jews. And the two thieves joined in that themselves. But suddenly, because of the grace of God, one of the thieves begins to have insight that this Jesus is not just a regular man, that there's something special about Jesus. And so he begins to tell the other thief to stop blaspheming him and says to him, don't you fear God that this man has done nothing? He's innocent. We deserve what we're getting, but this man does not. And so he then turns to Jesus in this poignant moment in Luke 23, verse 40, and says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a great moment as we see the grace of God reaching across eternity to this person uh, who was a bad guy, was not a good person, who was far outside of the will of God, who was a criminal in every way, who deserved to die. And yet this man, through the grace of God, came to the, the determination that Jesus Christ was God. And so he bows basically in his heart and says, Jesus, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. And so the response of Jesus is incredible and, and most telling. And in quiet confidence, Jesus says, and this is in Luke 23, verse 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. What an incredible statement. And how uplifting is that to us? Here is a man who never went to church, who didn't know anything about theology, had no background whatsoever. He's, he's hung on a cross. He's ready to die. And now because he comes and extends himself to God at that moment before death, he will be saved. This is an assurance for us about the grace of God, how God can reach out and save anyone. And so this should be helpful to you who are praying for many of your family and friends and hoping that they will come to faith. And I want you to understand something, that God can reach them even on their deathbeds. I have been convinced over time that many people who we have prayed for when they are in a coma, uh, in many ways, I believe, are coming to speak to God as God is speaking to them. And so Jesus remembered him on the spot and promised him eternal security. What an amazing picture of the cross. God accepts us when we come to him. He doesn't care about who we are or what we have done or about our background or about our knowledge. All that matters is the recognition that we are in desperate need of a savior. Jesus proves this forever. He proved it right there 
at the cross. Now, another person who was touched by events at the cross was, was the centurion who stood watch at the base of the cross. And in Matthew 27, verse 54, it says the following, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Can you imagine this pagan who was sitting there overseeing the execution of our Lord and Savior, watching, looking at his countenance, looking at how he acted, seeing him say to God, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Not responding to the blasphemers, but in, but in, in, in a peaceful state, bowing before God himself, touching the heart of this pagan. And this pagan effectively is recognizing him uh, as God himself. And so you see another person is touched at the cross. This is a second miraculous thing happening uh, at the cross on that, on that day. Now we also know that at the moment that Jesus expires on the cross, uh, something incredible happens at the temple. And, and what happens at the temple is there is a separation between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple. The separation is the temple veil. And this veil is 60 feet high and four inches thick. Can you imagine the kind of veil and curtain that this is? Enormous uh, piece of material. And so at the moment that Jesus expires, the Bible tells us that the that heavy curtain was rent in half from the top to the bottom. Uh, and we find this in Matthew 27, verse 51. Now, this is an absolutely remarkable physical and spiritual event. And what does it mean for us? It means that no longer, no longer would we need to have atonement presented by a human high priest as he entered the Holy of Holies. And you know that that instruction was given to Moses by God, going back to the time the people of God were taken out of Israel and, and taken into the wilderness, and they were told about what they had to do to worship God. And so they had the Ark of the Covenant, they had the Holy of Holies, and they had the designated high priest, Aaron, who would go in and he had to atone and be properly conformed to the will of God in order to go in uh, and pray for the people. Well, that changed forever. And from that moment on, it's as if God compresses all the events in the Old Testament, all of the laws, all of the covenants uh, that were given to the Jewish people, and suddenly... Everything has been changed. No longer would you have to go in to the Holy of Holies. No longer would you have to pray through a high priest. Now, forever, Jesus Christ would be your high priest. You would pray to him. He had atoned for you once and for all. There no longer would be needs for the need for the millions of animal sacrifices that took place. And here's the other thing. At that moment, when that, that veil was rent, we would learn that no longer would God abide in any human habitation. Meaning what? That temple would be desolated forever. Nobody would, no God would stay there. Our God would not be there. Our God would be in, in heaven above or walking with us in his presence through the Holy Spirit, but not in that temple. And, and the important part to understand here is that about 40 years after this, 
as Jesus had prophesied. Forty years after this, uh, Rome would come in, lay siege to Jerusalem. One million Jews would die. One million Jews would die. Jerusalem would be brought to the ground and the temple would be destroyed so that not one stone would be left uh, standing. All of them would be spent to the ground and, and put in on fire. Uh, and so this is a remarkable event that, that, that is accomplished because of Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, the only way Jesus becomes our high priest is because he becomes the ultimate sacrifice for us. And, and it's appropriate for us to consider this event as we honor Jesus on the day of his crucifixion. If you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19. Uh, and you can follow along with me. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What a fantastic picture that is of our Lord and Savior effectively now having his body becoming the holy of holies. No longer a man-made physical presence, but the spiritual presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so this becomes a graphic image to me as to what happened on the cross, an incredible event where God's son gives his life willingly, voluntarily, so that all of us can have a relationship with God that we never would be able to have other than through the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there were many other prophecies uh, fulfilled at the cross that day. As I said, it's as if God is distilling all of the prophecies made from Genesis to Malachi, fulfilling them all on the cross at that moment. He's punctuating everything that took place and summarizing it on the cross. It's as if on the cross when Jesus dies, all those events that took place before, all those covenants are now replaced with God himself, with Jesus Christ, with our Lord and Savior. We no longer are stuck with the law. Now we live by the Spirit of God through the Holy Spirit. Well, our conditions are elevated. Now Jesus will atone for us. And so looking at some of these prophecies that I think are relevant as we consider the crucifixion, many of them come through Psalm 22. That's a prophetic psalm written by David more than a thousand years before Jesus would be born. Uh, and some of the things that they say there in Psalm 22, verse 1, is verse 1. And this is a prophetic psalm about the death of Christ. And verse 1 says as follows, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's the, the first verse of Psalm 22, which as you leap forward more than a thousand years, it's the word that Jesus says to God as all of the sins of the world in, in, from the time of history to the end of time are now heaped on Jesus. 
and, and it becomes so vile uh, and repugnant to God that God cannot look at Jesus. And so the communication between father and son, because of this enormity of sin, is now cut off. And Jesus recognized it's cut off. He had never been cut off from the Father. But now, looking at heaven and being cut off because of, of he has become the sin carrier, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and then, then further on in that psalm of, of verse 16, it says, a band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Why is that important? Well, it's important because crucifixion would not be invented as a means of executing people for about another 800 years. And yet here you see it, uh, evil men circling him uh, and effectively piercing his hands and feet. Well, there really wouldn't be a, a, a terminology of piercing hands and feet as a means of execution uh, a thousand years before, but it would when you refer to crucifixion. And so David had prophetically seen what crucifixion would be like. Now also completed at the cross was another prophecy, uh, and this is found in Isaiah 53, uh, and this is verse 9, and that it says there, He shall be assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in death. And so you come to the conclusion, well, how can that be both? How can you be assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in death? Well, very simply, Jesus had been consigned a potter's death where all those who had been executed by crucifixion would have their bodies dumped in an open grave next to the road. To the road. But Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man, went to Pilate and asked Pilate if he could take the body of Jesus and bury it in uh, Joseph's unused tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was most likely the wealthiest man in Jerusalem. And so there you have it, fulfilling prophecy that even though Jesus should have been buried in a potter's grave, instead he was buried in a wealthy man's tomb. Further on in Isaiah 53 and verse 7, it says there, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. What an amazing picture. And that's exactly what we know happened. Jesus never opened his mouth, never publicly defended himself, never expressed outrage, but quietly went to his death, even though he could have called a legion of angels down to stop this farce of a trial, to stop the injustice of, of the cross. And yet Jesus understood that this was the will of God from the time of creation. Uh, and so you see that. In verse 8 of Isaiah 53, it says, Who can speak of his descendants? He was cut off from the land of the living. Well, what does that mean? It means that Jesus never had any descendants. He would be cut off from this life before he would have any descendants. Again, talking about the nature of the Messiah. Now, there was one last prophecy that had to be completed on the cross. And it is this, when God gave Moses and Aaron the rules for the Passover as God took the Jewish people out of Israel, one of the rules that he gave them seems unconventional and rather strange. Uh, and, and effectively what it says there is God had prohibited them from breaking any bones of the Passover lamb that was to be used in this ritual sacrifice. Now, why is that important? Well, this command carries great symbolic uh, weight. Uh, when, John, uh, uh, when Jesus was seen by John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist proclaimed him to be, quote, the lamb of of God 
who taketh away the sins of the world. And so you see the Holy Spirit speaking through John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, the once and forever perfect sacrifice. And so you, you will see when you study this that Jesus did not have any broken bones during the crucifixion. This is an incredible event as well because as part of the crucifixion, at the end of the crucifixion, typically the Roman soldiers would go and break the legs of those on, on the cross in order to hasten their death. And in fact, both thieves had their legs broken, but Jesus would expire on the cross before his legs would be uh, broken. And so here you see it, uh, this, this prophecy, this edict given by God 1,200 years before and spoken prophetically in Psalm 34, 1,000 years before Christ would be born, uh, Psalm 34, where it says, he protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. All of that came true. What an amazing picture that is for us as we understand exactly what took place on the cross. And so to the very last detail of his death, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies concerning the Messiah and verified that he indeed was the Messiah, that it was as John the Baptist indicated and proclaimed, you are the sacrificial lamb of God. All of this coming together from Genesis to Malachi, all of it taking place once and for all on the cross uh, on that day that Jesus would be crucified. Now let's understand something. At the time that Jesus is crucified, darkness pervades all of Jerusalem. It's like the middle of night, even though it's only between noon and 3 p.m. The disciples are frightened. They have fled. They're nowhere to be, bound, to be found. Their dreams have been broken. The man who they thought would be their leader forever, the man who they thought was the Messiah, is now dead. Their hearts are broken. Their dreams are shattered. Jesus has died. Yes, Jesus has died. But it's only Friday. And Sunday is coming. God bless you. Lord, we thank you for your blessings and for your gifts. I ask you, Father, to seal this message in our heart. Help us, Lord, to become ever more mindful of the gifts that Jesus has given us. And help us, Lord, to be appreciative and to spread this message to a lost world. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.